Mark chapter 3, we'll save the announcements till after the service this morning. Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 7 this morning, we're doing a series on Sunday mornings through the gospel of Mark. And let's be reminded that the purpose of Mark's gospel is to evoke from the reader a lasting response in word and deed to the true identity of Jesus Christ. So the very first week in the first chapter, we looked at the followers' response to Jesus. How have we responded to Jesus? Have we responded to Jesus Christ? And are we responding to Jesus because of what he does for us or because of what we think he can do for us or simply because of who he is, the Son of God? Many that were following Jesus and are continuing to follow him at this point are following following him because of what he does for them, not simply for who he is. And then we talked about how important it is that you and I know the true identity of Jesus. So last week in Mark chapter 2, we saw where Jesus was going around saying and doing such audacious things that those following him at this point were saying, who does this guy think he is? And Jesus revealed who he was to us in Mark chapter 2. Two, do we embrace the true identity of Jesus Christ? Now this morning, we're going to talk about the follower's calling. God has a calling upon our life, and it's the same really for every Christian. Because it is not a calling to a particular vocation or even ministry. It is a calling to be a part of his family and to find what responsibilities we have within those relationships within his family. Now, many of us as Christians, we sometimes probably think, boy, you know, I, I wish I could go back and just walk with Jesus and be a part of his ministry while he was there. I wish I could do that. Well, in a sense, the gospels give us that opportunity. But be careful what you wish for. Because when you start to examine all the things that were going on around being a follower of Jesus, it might not be all that you and I maybe at times thought it was. For instance, last week we ended with this verse in Mark chapter 3 verse 6 where the religious leaders of Israel, the Pharisees and the Herodians were plotting of how to assassinate him. So you have that even at this early stage of Jesus' ministry. If you and I are going to identify ourselves with Jesus and follow him, there's always going to be that threat because those that we were taught to look up to from the time we were a child are now the very same people that are trying to murder Jesus and get rid of him because they do not accept who he claims to be. And then beginning in chapter 3, verse 7 you have here that Jesus went away with his disciples to the sea and great multitudes from all over were following him at this point. In fact, it says in verse 8, a great multitude came to him when they heard about the things that he had done. And again, it was great that there were all these crowds, but Jesus isn't about attracting crowds. He, he isn't about that. He's about calling people to follow him. And so he wasn't impressed with the crowd. He was looking for disciples, those that would attach themselves to him and that their allegiance to him would be above any and all other things in their life. 
So the Bible says in verse 9, because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him so that the crowd would not press toward him. He had healed many so that all were afflicted with diseases, pressed toward him in order to touch him. And I get it. Everyone was looking for some piece of Jesus, if you will. But it wasn't simply because of who he was. It was because of what he was doing. And they wanted some things from him. And you and I can identify with that, I think, a little bit in our lives even. I mean, there are times where we may go, you know what? The only reason this person is my friend is because of what I can do for them. They're they're not really hanging out with me or wanting to hang out with me or be close to me or whatever, simply because of who I am. It's because of the position I hold or the favors that I can grant them or what I can do for them. Well, that's exactly why many of the people were following Jesus. It wasn't because they really loved Jesus. It was because of the things that he was doing. And then also we see here, as we see throughout the Gospels, That wherever Jesus went and the power of God was flowing out of him and the message of God was flowing out of him, that the demonic world was very active in raising itself up against him to oppose and to resist. In fact, in verse 11, we see whenever the unclean spirit that was right there saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. Which is a truth. But notice he sternly ordered them not to make him known. Jesus wanted no witness or testimony from the demonic world. He only was willing to accept testimony and witness to who he was from those that were truly willing to follow him. He did not want to be associated with the demonic world in any way. He did not want any to get the wrong idea that somehow he was attached to them or they were attached to him and that they were on the same page. Because later on, even in this chapter, the religious leaders of Israel claim that what he is doing, healing and casting out demons and all that, is by the power of Satan. And of course, Jesus says, well, that's ridiculous. Why would Satan work against himself? And then he says, a kingdom that is divided against itself cannot stand. In fact, that's true across the board. A home divided against itself will never stand. A church divided against itself will never stand. A country divided against itself will not stand, you see. And so Jesus is sharing that principle. So you have have the religious leaders of Israel who are seeking to assassinate him and trying to figure out how best to do that. You've got the demonic world rising up at this point in this stage of Jesus' ministry. And then there's something else that maybe we would not normally foresee that comes into play here. And that is there's a lot of tension within the family of Jesus itself. See, we forget that Jesus was part of a family. Jesus had an earthly family, if you will. And notice what they think about him at this point, for the most part. If you go down to verse 20, because we'll come back to verses 13 through 19 in a little bit. It says, when Jesus went home, went back to his hometown, a crowd gathered so that they were not even able to eat. A lot of people pressing there again. And the Bible says when his family heard this, they went out to basically collect him, restrain him, and get him out of there. Because in a sense, 
he was embarrassing them at this point. Why? Because notice what the Bible said. They thought Jesus was loony. They thought he was out of his mind. They thought he was crazy. He's going around claiming to be the son of God. Oh, my goodness. See, Jesus' family at this point, for the most part, was not on board either with who he claimed to be. And I even think Mary, probably more than anybody, certainly had an understanding and insight into who he was. But even at this point, she was not willing to lay aside the mother card, if you will, and become a follower of Jesus Christ. That was still yet to come. And certainly his brothers and sisters and whatnot, they were like, oh, our brother Jesus, he's he's crazy. He's out of his mind. We just, we just got to bring him home and hope that we can get him some help. Which brings me down to verse 31. I'd like you to go there for a minute. I want to spend some time on this last part of the passage we're going to look at, the chapter today. And then we'll go back and sort of clean some things up from there. But notice in verse 31, it says, Then Jesus' mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, again, from that home where people were packed in and he couldn't even eat with his disciples, they sent word to him again to summon him to try to get him out of there and get him back home because he was embarrassing them at this point. Now, again, remember... In this chapter, I believe that Jesus is going to call us to be part of a spiritual family. But I want to say this at this point. One of the things that we rediscover here, or we are reminded of here, is again that Jesus had an earthly family. And that's important for us to remind ourselves of. Why? Because Jesus understands what it means to be part of a family on earth. He gets it. He even gets it when his own family members misunderstand him or don't accept him or reject him or whatever. So I say that because we're all part of a family of some kind. And sometimes our biggest frustrations and our biggest challenges and all of that come within that earthly family unit. And sometimes we may think, oh, he's God, he doesn't get it, he doesn't understand. Yes, he does. He absolutely does. His own family thought he was crazy. Now, I don't know about in your family, maybe you don't have any family members that think you're crazy. I do. I have family members that you're a pastor. Oh, you gave your life to be a pastor. You're a a Christian, you're one of those followers of Jesus. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love them. They're my flesh and blood, if you will. I'm related to them in an earthly way. I've got family members that think I'm crazy. They don't know this. Don't tell them, but I've got some family members. I think they're crazy. (laughs) Well, guess what? Again, family dynamic. Jesus had a family. He gets it. But you know what Jesus was trying to teach his followers here? And something that was, he knew was going to rock their world. Because just like today, many even Christians think that the earthly family, the flesh and blood relationships that we have, that that's the end all be all. That there's nothing that trumps that, if you will. That, that's as 
you know, as much as it gets. And Jesus is going to say, oh, no, no. That, yeah, we have flesh and blood relationships and bonds with our earthly family, but that there is a stronger bond than that. And that is the bond that we have when we choose to follow Jesus Christ with him. And it is a stronger bond with those who believe in him and accept him than we could ever have with our earthly family. See, Jesus is teaching here, and we're going to see this in just a moment, that the bonds we have with our spiritual family are actually stronger than the bonds that we have with our earthly flesh and blood family. Why do I say that? Notice verse 32. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Speaking of his earthly flesh and blood family. He answered them and said, who are my mother and my brothers? And then you don't get this in the English translation, but in verse 34, when it says he was looking at those, it speaks about this affectionate, loving look. Now, look, it's not that Jesus didn't love his earthly flesh and blood family. It's simply reminding us that when Jesus then began to look around at those that were following him at this point, he looked at them. With a love and affection. It reminds us that even when people see the way we look at them, they can tell whether we really love them or not. Just by the way we look at them. We can tell that in others by the way they look at us. Do they love us or not? And the Bible says, Jesus, looking at those who were sitting around him in a circle, he said, here are my mother And my brothers. Whoa. Why? Because Jesus came to create a new family. A spiritual family. A family that would have stronger bonds between us than even our flesh and blood earthly family. Now again, Jesus in no way is demeaning our flesh and blood earthly family. He's not saying it's of no value or it's no, no worth at all. No, God created the family unit. He created husband, wife, children, parent. He, he created it. He values it. But he is simply saying here that those who know me and follow me, they have a closeness with me that those who choose not to follow me and, and accept me don't have. There's not a bond there. And then he says, if you all choose to follow me and believe in me, that between you, you will have a bond and a closeness between you as brothers and sisters in Christ that you could never have, even with your flesh and blood earthly family, if they have chosen not to believe or accept me or follow me. Those are my brothers and sisters. Not simply those that are, you know, Related to me through flesh and blood, but those who believe in me, those who follow me, they're my mother, they're my brothers. Because I came to create a new family, which the New Testament calls the church. Jesus said, I will build my church, the household of people who believe in me and choose to follow me. And then he says this in verse 35. 
He not only had a family and is here to create a new family, he defines his family. And I don't know about you, but I would have to say probably 99.9% of Christians, if they were asked this question and they didn't have a chance to look at this verse yet, if, if Jesus was to ask us the question, how do you think I define my family? Probably 99 and 9 tenths percent Christians would say, well, I think probably God's family is defined by those who believe in him. But notice in verse 35 of Mark chapter 3, that's not how Jesus defines his family. He doesn't say, for whoever believes in me is my brother and sister and mother. No, he says, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. That's how he defines it. It's not enough just to believe. It's to know the will of God and be obedient to the will of God. See, Jesus calls us to not only be part of this new family, but to obedience within this family and to follow the will of God for our life. Doing the will of God is what is really vital and important. So many Christians, I think, get the idea that if I just know what I should do, that's good. And that's why so many Christians are satisfied just to fill their head with all these biblical facts and knowledge. But it never translate in, translates into a changed, transformed life. A life that we've been talking about through our study of the Gospel of Mark. Where we lay aside what we want and we say, Jesus, I will choose to trust you. I have confidence in you. I will follow your will for my life. It will no longer be what I want, God. It will be what you want. And Jesus says, when we get to that point, that's what it, because it's not that those who believe in him are not part of the family, strictly speaking. It's simply that in Jesus's mind, you want to be close to me, Jesus says, I mean, really close to me, then you'll do the will of God. That's how you get close to me. I mean, so many Christians even may ask that question. How do I get closer to Jesus? How do I know I'm as close to Jesus as I can get? Jesus gives us that answer here. Start doing the will of God. Don't just know the will of God. Accept the will of God. Surrender to the will of God. Submit to the will of God and do it. Then you and I will sense that connection and closeness with Jesus. Jesus emphasizes this aspect of doing the will of God. Keep your finger there in Mark chapter 3 and just go back one book to the Gospel of Matthew, to Matthew's Gospel chapter 7, to a very famous passage, but one that I want to again emphasize and reemphasize today, beginning in Matthew 7 verse 24. And the reason I'm emphasizing this is this is going to carry over for the next couple of weeks into our study in Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 5. Notice Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, everyone who hears these words of mine, he doesn't say as a wise man who builds his house on the rock. He keeps on going. He says, whoever hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. Again, Jesus never said, hey, it's enough just to know. It's enough just to know the will of God. It's enough just to know what God's word says. No, it's always about doing the will of God. 
doing the word of God, acting on it, applying it to my life. That's why here at the Oasis, one of the things that we value and we emphasize and we will always challenge each other with is it's not enough just to grow in our understanding and knowledge of this book that we study so deeply on Sundays and Wednesdays and encourage you to do, obviously, every day of the week. It's about doing it. That's what makes the difference. And then Jesus goes on to say, the rain fell, the flood came, the winds beat against the house, but it did not collapse because it had been founded on a rock. Not simply because they knew the word of God, because they did the word of God. They acted on it. But he says, notice verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine, so the hearing's the same. Both parties have heard the word of God. The difference comes in and Jesus says, and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the flood came, the winds beat against that house, and it collapsed, and it was utterly destroyed. So here in Mark chapter 3, Jesus is calling us to be part of a new family. He's even redefining for us what is the notion of family. And he's saying, look, earthly flesh and blood relationships are very important. But there's also a spiritual family and a spiritual bond with those who believe in me as well that is stronger and obviously will last longer throughout eternity than any earthly flesh and blood alone relationships can. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be part of this new family. And I want you to accept the responsibilities within these relationships of this new family. And I want you to know that here's how I define my family. It's not those who simply know the will of God. It's those who are willing to do the will of God. Now, with all of that said, I want to, for a few moments, go back now to chapter 3, verse 13 of Mark. And I want us to see, again, this great calling that God had for his disciples, if you will, but also for us as well. And I'm just going to read these verses and then go back and share a few thoughts with you. Beginning in Mark 3, 13. Now, Jesus went up to the mountain. Mountains were significant in the Bible. Places where things happened between God and men. You think about Moses on Mount Sinai. It was almost like the higher elevation was just a physical picture of a person, again, getting close to God. And notice here, before Jesus even called his disciples, he spent time on the mountain with God the Father. And then it says he called for those he wanted. He chose them. They didn't choose him, which is what the Bible teaches. And they came to him and he appointed 12 whom he named apostles. So that they would be with him and then he could send them to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Because he knew if they were going to do his will, there was going to be that demonic resistance and opposition around them. So they needed to know how to handle spiritual warfare, basically. Now notice it also says, verse 16, he appointed 12 to Simon. He gave the name Peter. To James and his brother John, the sons of Zebedee, he gave the name Bojernus, that is, sons of thunder. And Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, a couple of things. 
First of all, notice something here. That Jesus named them not only apostles, which simply means sent ones, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but he gave them each sort of names that he actually named them. See, most of the names that we know of the disciples were not names that they were born with. These are actually many of these, not all, but many of these are names that Jesus gave to them when they started to follow him and be his disciple. Why? Because just like in that culture at that time, when you and I would would experience basically a life-transforming event, something that would change our life in a whole different trajectory, many times people were granted new names. Names that sort of, again, just was a way to say, things are going to be different from here on out. So that's why when Jesus met Simon, he said, Simon, you're not going to be Simon any longer, you're going to be Peter. Because as you follow me, you're going to become this rock. Because I see so much potential in you that I have placed within you. To James and John. He gave them the nickname, the Sons of Thunder. And I would have been cool, I'm the Son of Thunder. Like, you know, Thor, right? Why did he do that? Not because of where they were now, but because of the potential he saw within these men. We saw last week that when he met the tax collector Levi, Levi's not known by Levi now, he's known by what? Matthew. See, many of these names were actually, in a sense, we would say pet names or nicknames that Jesus gave to his followers. Why? He wanted them to see the significance in their life of what it would mean to leave everything behind and to totally have allegiance to him and begin to follow him. That their life would never be the same and that they would begin, if they continued to follow him, to begin to manifest all this God-given potential that he had placed in them when he created them in the first place. And that's something I want to encourage each of you with today. When you and I come into a family, obviously, we didn't do this, but when we were born into our family, guess what? One of the first things that happened was we were named. We were given a name. And that's what Jesus is doing here. As he's creating this new family, he's giving these men names that he gave to them. One of the cool verses in the book of Revelation is the Bible promises us that for those of us who are overcomers and victorious in this life as followers of Jesus Christ, that when we get to glory, one of the things he's going to do is give us this white stone, which was a sign in Jesus' day of those who were victors and overcomers, and that on the one side is going to be a new name that only God and and we know what that is. Isn't that cool? And again, why is Jesus doing this? I want you to think of the word potential. When you and I came into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus says, now Jeff, I created you with all this potential within you. Have you reached your potential yet? Has everything that I placed within you when I created you, has it come out yet? And the obvious answer is no, no way, not even close. 
So what God wants us to do is to continue to follow him with everything we've got because it's only in continuing to follow him and be his disciple that all this potential that he's placed within us will begin to come out and continue to come out. This is what God, one of the things that God wanted me as the pastor of this church to encourage you all with this coming year. I think this is the year that God wants us as a church to focus on that P word, potential. I've already shared this with our, with our leaders. And I want to share it with all of our ministry leaders and with everybody in this church. I want you to ask yourself that question. Have you reached your spiritual potential yet? Has everything God placed within you, has it begun to even you know, come out? Are you seeing this potential yet? And if not, then to me, all that does for us is it says, okay, I, I got to raise the level of my game. I got to get a little bit more committed and, and devoted to, to following Jesus Christ because it's only in following him and continuing to follow him and sustaining that fellowship that you and I will begin to see all this potential that God placed within us. He named them. But then also notice this. In verse 14, notice he also called them to be with him. Think of the word attachment. A lot of times when we think of discipleship, all we think about is a classroom where people sit like they do in school, like here at Basha, and where they're just given these facts. That's not discipleship. That's not really being a follower of Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus today is no different than it was 2,000 years ago. It is attaching ourselves to him every day. Saying, Jesus, I'm just going to follow you. Just going to follow you, Jesus. It means spending time with Jesus. It means being in prayer with God. It means getting into his word. It means fellowshipping with other Christians. But it simply means, too, just attaching myself to Jesus Christ, just to be with him. More than anything, that's what makes the difference. It is being with Jesus. Let me ask you, even before you came to church today, had you spent time with Jesus? How about this past week? How much time and even energy and effort did you spend and prioritizing in your schedule to spend time with him? That's the bottom line. That's what makes the difference in our lives. It's not simply about knowing him and believing in him. It's about being with him. That's where the transformation and change and my whole attitude and perspective and everything begins to change. When you and I spend time with him. And that's what he calls us to. Because then notice. It is out of our spending time with him that then it says, then he would send them to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Notice very clearly that Jesus gives us the model for ministry and service. And the model for ministry and service isn't go out there and serve me and minister for me without spending time with me first. That's again why here at the Oasis we teach and it's our value to teach people, to teach other Christians. To always minister and serve God out of the overflow of your spiritual life with him. Because that's the way God designed it. He didn't say, now guys, you follow me and I'm just going to start sending you out. No, he says, you got to spend time with me first. 
You've got to be empowered by me and taught by me and trained by me and energized by me. And you got to spend, and then when you spend enough time with me, then you have the wherewithal to go out and be equipped to go out and to preach for me and to cast out demons and face the demonic world and serve me and minister and all that kind of stuff. So often today in the church, we're very good at trying to recruit people to serve and minister, but we don't remind them, are you spending time with Jesus? Are you spending enough time with Jesus to be efficient and effective in your ministry and service? Or are you getting burnt out? Are you getting discouraged? Are you in despair? Are you getting worn down in your service and ministry? Because you're not spending enough time with him first. And you and I are trying to go out there and live the Christian life apart from first spending time with him. He names us. He calls us to be with him. And then he sends us out to serve and minister for him. See, Jesus has a calling for each of us. And again, in Mark chapter 3, here's the emphasis. Don't think about God's calling on your life as a particular vocation or ministry. That, that can come later. Primarily, Jesus calls us to be part of this new family that he's created. And to understand what are the responsibilities that I have in these relationships within this new family. Because Jesus has given us just a really clear picture here. He says, you realize, just to even his first disciples, to his first followers, if you spend time with me and get close to me, guess who else you're close to? You start looking around and go, well, the other people that are following you too, right? And it's one and the same. The reason why these men, these particular 12 men, knew each other so well was because they all chose to follow Jesus and attach themselves to him every day. So in the process of following Jesus, they also got closer to each other. See, it's not an either or, it's a both and. And that's what I want to encourage you all here at the Oasis. See, all we have to do is commit ourselves to being followers of Jesus Christ and to getting closer to him and being with him and doing his will this coming year. And then we just look up and go, who else is, who else is there? And those are going to be the people that we get closer to because we're all part of the same group going in the same direction with the same purpose. We all just want to know Jesus better and spend time with him and grow and allow him to train us and build us up because he's put all this potential within all of us. And it's only in following him that it begins to come out. Do we have that allegiance to Christ above anyone or everything else? That's why Jesus said even to his early followers, If you don't love me more than your earthly flesh and blood family, then you're not worthy of me. See, Jesus called us to put him and our relationship with him above every other relationship, above every other thing. And so often Christians, we we say, I I, want to follow you, Jesus, but I've got all these other things that are more of a priority and more important in my life than you. Jesus says, well, then you really aren't following. Because to follow Jesus not only means allegiance to him above anything or everything, it also means attachment to him. 
He called them to be with him. And it is out of our allegiance and attachment to Jesus that our life really starts to change. And where we really experience the power and presence of God in our life. Have you made that choice or decision in your life? To say, Jesus, I've decided to follow you. Everything else I'm laying aside, that can't be the priority. My priority in life is to follow you, Jesus. Because that's what Jesus calls us to. Follow me. Are we following Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Lord, I ask today that as your word goes forth, that the heart's that this word lands on, God, would be receptive hearts. Hearts where your word can penetrate and do what you have sent it out to do. God, may we make that decision today, once and for all, to say, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm completely yours. I am choosing to follow you today and to put you first in my life like I never have before. That wherever you lead, God, I'll follow. I will do your will. Whatever that is. I am realizing, Lord, through this study of the Gospel of Mark, that it's so much more than just believing in Jesus and knowing who Jesus is. It's about surrender. It's about following. It's about submitting and yielding to the will and word of God in my life. God, I pray that that would be our heart's desire today. And that, God, none of us would get there because we feel coerced or manipulated or pressured or guilted into it. Because that doesn't work. It only works when we come to a place where in our heart, that's what we want. That's what we desire. We're not living because that's what somebody else desires. We're choosing to live this way because this is what we want more than anything else. We want you, Jesus. And we're going to take a stand and stand in life for you above everything else and anyone else. God, may that be the truth of our heart, our lips, our life today. As we all recommit and rededicate ourselves to being faithful followers of Jesus Christ. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.